What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of comic books that have come out this very do we? week. We do so many That's this week. That's what we're here for. That huh. is why we get paid $20,000 an episode. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be amazing? That That's be nice. our fee. Oh, you wouldn't be able to <laughs> shut me up for that kind of money. That would be really... We be so barely can shut you up now and we get zero Wait, dollars. you'd talk more if you were paid more? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, is that why you're talking about all that banana stuff? Let's get into this. <laughs> Sins of Sinister, number one from Marvel, written by Kira Gillen, art by Lucas Wernick. This is the kickoff of the next big X-Men event that Marvel has been teasing for a good long while here over their year of events. The basic idea, if you haven't been keeping up with the X-Men books, is that Mr. Sinister has been working a bunch of plans over on Krakoa, as you'd expect. He's not such a nice guy. He has no. been using a bunch of Moira McTaggart clothes to essentially create save points for himself where he could manipulate reality and get his ends met, which is to make everybody into Mr. Sinister. And in this issue, that's pretty much what happens. He turns nearly the entire world into Mr. Sinister. Big spoiler here, but you can kind of figure out based on the fact that this event continues he uh, he kind of messes up and something happens yeah. to his Moira's and he can't go back to his save point. And that's where we kick off this event, which I would characterize as essentially Age of Apocalypse, but with Mr. Sinister and ah, everything that call. entails. Um, I know Pete probably hastened this for a variety of very basic reasons. I oh, thought this was a... Oh, oh, first off, <laughs> you're basic. I get to wow. say, you're basic. I you're get basic. to say I'm basic. You don't get to say I'm no, basic. No, I, I can say that I'm, I'm basic. Not that you're basic. You I meant basic me reasons basic. of you don't like all of the X-Men books. That, oh. That's the and especially you probably like Mr. Sinister even less than other X-Men for sure. And it feels like this uh, future uh, casting stories, maybe you don't like it all. Yeah, no, that's a, I. I've come to embrace my uh, basic B, you know, and uh, I feel that uh, you know, yeah, there are certain things that I'm very basic about, and one of them being <coughs> that uh, your favorite superheroes are going to an island because they don't give a fuck about any of us anymore. And then, oh, guess what? We're just going to put uh, Mister. We're not going to really keep an eye on one of the most evil motherfuckers ever. And oh, it turns out he has this horrible plan going on this whole time. No shit. He's well, fucking Mr. Sinister. To uh, that point, his name. Pete, don't name. you feel justified? Because this is what you've been saying all along, and you were right. Yeah, well, it doesn't feel good to be right, because then I have to sit through and read a shitty plan and go, yeah, no shit. Yeah, yeah, I could have told you this was coming. We all knew this was coming, except for you uh, stupid <laughs> islanders. I don't know why coming. they didn't put you on the quiet council, Pete. You know I voted yeah. for you at the last <laughs> oh, election. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. I'm so sorry, but Pete, you're too loud to be on the quiet council. You are not <laughs> going to be sitting here. Pete, yeah. a red diamond just grew on your forehead, so we know that you have been sinister all along. Uh, I wish I could cash that out. I, I just, uh, you know, just like uh, when they tried to put me in a quiet dorm in my freshman year, it didn't go well. Yeah, this didn't go <laughs> well to. either. And so I think it was one of those things where I read it and just kind of was fuming by the fact of like, yeah, of course this is going to happen. Why would you leave him alone or not have 18 people constantly monitoring what the fuck this guy is doing? And so it was a little infuriating to read. The art was phenomenal though. Well, and I, I think that's part of it though. Like the idea, there are flaws in the plan that was laid forth by professor X and all the X-Men 
to do this where they're like, let's welcome all them. But it's a in. great reason to put a lollipop thing in on your head so they can't see your well, little red on. diamond. And the other thing that I'll say, pivoting off of what Justin is saying, is I do think this is to just totally prognosticate the story. I think part of this story is going to be Mr. Sinister learning the lesson of like, he can't do his Mr. Sinister shit anymore because that's just not going to work. He oh, you actually, think he's going to learn a lesson? You think I think he's, he, he's not going to be a 100% different person, but I think he's going to learn that he actually needs these other characters to fix his mistakes, and he's going to end up owing them something, which is going to put them in his debt and is going to ultimately change him in some way. Obviously, he's still a danger. Obviously, he's still a villain. Obviously, they're going to have to watch him in different ways, but I think both sides are going to learn something. You're there. saying, obviously, now, after the fact. I mean, that should have been... You know, no, as soon as we got the to the fucking time, nobody thought bringing Apocalypse and putting him on your island is going to go well. His name's Apocalypse. Well, yeah. that's exactly like what they did, though, Alex. That's exactly chill, what like they did, Mr. though. Sinister. Again, they, I voted for you multiple times for Quiet Council, and every time they were like, Pete's not a mutant. He's just very hairy. Got to stop mm. saying Quiet Council. No, a lot of them were like, "Wait, really this guy's Wolverine." We thought this guy was Wolverine all this time. He's not. He's not Wolverine. Yeah. Get him out of here. Put him out to the portal. Yeah. No, he's not um, tall enough to be Wolverine. Take it away, Justin. What do you um, think about this title? Um, I, I I like this. I think giving um, the X Men books um, a little bit of uh, organization, I think, is what I've been missing. Like some of the, my favorite books are some the ones that have the most clear organizing principle, and this one does. Like you said, it's Age of Apocalypse with Sinister. Sinister is one of the more fun characters that has come out of the all the Krakoa stuff because he is like. He's more has a little bit more comedy to him. He's a little weirder, uh, and I like him. Uh, yes, I have Pete. a question. I have a yes, question, uh, Justin. You say you like this, and uh, mm. I would follow up with, "What would you like about this, and why is organization?" Uh, what, why is that a plus here? What, what do you? What the fuck are you saying? Well, I feel that I feel like we share that because I think um, the X Men books lately feel like they're they are everyone's just on this island and stuff is happening, but. It doesn't feel like there's any central. Oh, principle you're saying because that is being, of this, they're going to have to get their shit together and start trying. No, is what I'm you're saying. This is a story that has it has an organizing principle to it, where it's built around Sinister um, throwing his plans into motion, and we're seeing them come to fruition in an interesting way. So I'd like that we get to play in that world for these nine issues or whatever this crossover is. And then it'll probably snap back to a slightly altered version of the current continuity. Snap back to reality is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not just to be, again back up what Justin's saying here. I think the two things that are very fun about this book: one, Sassy Sinister is great and very funny. Kieran Gillen is perfectly in his element, writing that character and writing him throughout here, particularly all the variations of Mister Sinister. And Lucas Wernick's art, like Pete said, is awesome. In particular, there's these sequences that are full page splashes that just go through what could be big events all in and of themselves, like entire issues of things. Very fun. Um, yeah. So I was very happy with this book. I really enjoyed it. Some other people, for whatever reason, whatever. Well, well I'm just, them. I'm having a hard time understanding this because like, and excuse me, excuse me for being slow, but it's one of those things where this is maddening to read and you guys are like, oh, this is enjoyable to read. So I'm just having a hard time understanding the, your mindset of like, here is a villain doing horrible things on an island that's supposed to be inclusion and it's supposed to be a new start for all of these guys. And here's somebody who's completely doing all the worst things because of who he is. And 
it's just completely maddening. Well, I would say two things. You guys are like, well, this is very enjoyable. I think two things. I think one, just because a character uh, characters are making bad choices doesn't mean the story is bad. In fact, often that means the story is good. And second, I would say um, you basic. <laughs> Listen, it feels to me like Pete, it feels okay. to me like Pete is having one bad day here. So why don't we turn to Batman One Bad Day, Catwoman Number One from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by J.B. McKelvey, and I would argue. This is the best hands down of the one bad day book so far, which, as we Ooh, talked about wow. last week, have all been pretty good across Very the good. board. The I mean, shout out to Kieran Gillen and J.B. McKelvey having two of my favorite books of the week, even though nah. they're separate. They're still together. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, J- the art here, great Catwoman art, great adventure. G. Willow Wilson really digs into an emotional scene, an element of Catwoman's past that we don't explore nearly enough here. Yeah. There's some great Batman stuff. There's a great new villain. I'm saying great a lot, but it really is a really wonderful Catwoman story that I was very impressed and taken aback by. And uh, overall, just a really nicely sized comic as well. It's like a mini graphic novel all in one. Okay, well, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think this is, you know, amazing. Uh, GW Squared is killing the game. I mean, this is so much fun to read. <laughs> and it's great to kind of, you know, we've we spent so much time with Catwoman, but we're, the fact that we're learning so much in this issue was so impressive. Uh, I was just, I just was so blown away by the art and the storytelling in this issue. Uh, this is just uh, super type bananas art. Uh, J Dubs and um, uh, J McKay, G Dubs and J McKay are really giving STB to the to the max, right? <laughs> you know it. You know it. Uh, let me also say, on top of that, it it is it is great. I would argue, though, very very small quibble. Is this a bad day? Who's having a bad day? Here's what I think. I was thinking about this because we argued a lot about what is Bane's bad day just last week when we were talking about this issue. So that was definitely top of mind going in here being like, all right, what's her bad day? Because this takes place over several days. Her bad day in this issue is back when she was a kid, her mother hit rock bottom and took her and her sister to a pawn shop. It was like, please, I have this priceless heirloom. Can I get some money for it? And instead, in the most pathetic way possible, she was like, fine, I'll take $200. And that's something that stuck with Catwoman. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That was Catwoman's bad day. That was the thing that affected her, and that's the driving force throughout this story. Okay. First off, don't call somebody's mom pathetic. Secondly. No, she does. Well, yeah, she does. All right, but that doesn't give you a right to do it. Uh, secondly, I think it's one of those things where it is a bad day because she keeps thinking she's got it all figured out with this brooch and the twists and turns keep keep fucking her. So it is a constant bad day that is or all circled we around really this We really need brooch. to talk to you about what days are. Days are 24 <laughs> hours long. They usually involve a, a morning uh, midday and a night. I know what I a day say. is, motherfucker. I know, but you keep saying, like, you keep referring to the present thing, which takes place over several days. The one bad day she has that affects her is that day with her mom. That's the I say, I, My point is there are several bad days, so pick your fucking I, day, I understand. Justin, if you don't I actually know think which you're one both is right. the bad one. But the name of this book is Batman One Bad Day, and Batman has a pretty good day in this book. Well, he's he's he, making out with Catwoman the whole time. But, He's he's having here, a good here's something day. that I've been thinking about for a while, actually, on the whole Batman Catwoman thing that I want to throw Bad out cat. to you guys. 
a lot of crime probably happens while Batman and Catwoman are fucking on a rooftop, right? Your dad gets murdered and you're like, oh, my God, where was Batman? And meeting you go over to TMZ and they're like, Batman and Catwoman fucking on a roof again. You're like, oh, God man, damn. you know what? That's a plot point I'd like to see in a comic book is Batman and Catwoman caught having sex on the roof. See, Let's see what, it. Let's I was bring it to the I condo. Did, I did have a rebuttal, but then you you. Started talking about Batman and Catwoman fucking. I think Batman that. had a little. Oh, it, oh, that's right. <laughs> Batman's bad day. It's called Batman's bad day. But Batman did get a bad day because he was like, "Yo, I really care about you," and she's like, "Yeah, peace. I gotta go." So this is tough for him as well because he's. It seemed like in this he was looking for a little bit uh, more, and she she was like, "Yo, maybe at another time. I'm not feeling it right now." Uh, maybe, but. Um... <laughs> I think this is a great book, despite uh, my small quibble about the title. Um, but honestly, let him have a little roof sex without that. He can take <laughs> his infinite war on crime can take him. I mean, he's not having sex in a bed. He's not going to lay down for very long because he's on a sharp rock roof. Probably. My dad died, but I'm proud of Batman. That's what I would say. <laughs> oh Inferno God. Girl Red, number one from Image Comics, written by Erica Durso, <laughs> art by Matt Groom. This is yet another book in the massive verse that includes Radiant Black, among others. We don't know necessarily how it connects to the bigger universe yet, but we are following a new character that is going to a future-style university, and things go horribly wrong when the university is stolen and taken to space or elsewhere. What do you guys think about this kickoff? I... I, I thought this was a great first ish, just an amazing start, uh, just really uh, solid origin story. Uh, I've, I've felt like the kind of time we got to spend with the different characters was just really well done as as far as like what was put across the pace of it. I was just really impressed by this and immediately wanted to read more. So I thought they killed it. I got to think the people who are trying to reboot Power Rangers must be looking at Massive Verse and being like, whoops, they did it already. Because <laughs> uh, that's what this book strikes me as like oh, a yeah. perfect update to a solo Power Ranger story uh, in a way that makes me want, like Pete's saying, want to read more. I like as part of the Massive Verse the way this is has its own lane. It's perfectly siloed off in that it's a university that is stolen from Earth and put in a f- force field. So it exists in its own world the story can play out for however long it takes to tell it and this format seems a little different right it's like three oversized issues for this yeah which is interesting as well well, i I like that as well i thought it like you guys are saying it's a good kickoff i definitely got the strong power rangers five just to give a little bit of the background kyle higgins uh, people listening may know this wrote on power rangers for a while a lot of the folks who are writing this stuff are Power Rangers expats who are writing new books. And so a lot of this does feel like, hey, this is the stuff we couldn't do on Power Rangers because there are rules, question mark, to Mighty Morphin Power <laughs> Rangers that we need to follow. Um, this is the one that feels the closest to it, but I didn't mind. Fun character, like no. we're saying. Really good, accessible art. And it's a good all-ages comic as well, which I really appreciated. So excited. Oh, yeah, to see I didn't even think about goes. that, but you're right. Next up, yeah. Lazarus Planet, We Once Were Gods, number one from DC Comics, written by Francis Manipool, Dan Waters, Philip Kennedy Johnson, Josie Ooh. Campbell, art by Francis Manipool, Max Dunbar, Jack Herbert, and Caitlin Yarsky. Like the previous issue that was released last week, this one shot has a bunch of short tales here with characters that are loosely 
Align with Gods. You got Mary Marvel following up on New Champion of Shazam. You got an Aquaman story. You got a couple of other things. And um, I think like we discovered last week and cemented this week, these are not only continuing the story of Lazarus Planet, but more so they are pushing things forward as a preview of titles to come. Well, let me let me throw this out there, though. Yeah. What we we haven't really gotten into Lazarus Planet, right? In any title, mm-hmm. We've, we it rained. Well, there's been these Lazarus Plan books that have been coming out. There's been these sort of with the, with the one-offs, which right. are very tangential to the main story. It's like characters being like, well, this Lazarus rain is bad. Yeah. Like Martian Manhunter is flying around, like other people are doing stuff. But we don't have a main story. And I think this is an uh, interesting and potentially weird way to get into a line-wide crossover where – we're sort of orbiting the main story without actually experiencing it yet. And the way that the DC is running their promotions for Dawn of DC, it feels like Lazarus Planet is like a little bump we are almost past in a lot of ways. Or so it feels very weird to me, but because I actually like the idea of Lazarus Planet. It feels like something where it could shake things up in an interesting way, but it feels like we're not ever going to get the main thrust. Or like a great hype man. You know, you're getting excited and then you're like, oh, my God, is this too soon? But we got hopefully more great comics coming to kind of uh, tide us over. So who's a great hype man? Who's a hype man where you're like, ah, I just want to see the hype man. I don't want to see what they're hyping. I feel like hype man is not a main attraction. Oh, I want the main So How dare you? I was going to bring up the Dawn of DC thing. I mean, come on, bro. (laughs) I was going to bring up the Dawn of DC thing you mentioned because it feels like these two things weirdly are weaving together. I don't know if Lazarus Planet is a bump so much as they were like, Power Girl has to have psychic abilities when we get to Dawn of DC. How do we do this? Well, let's do this thing over here as well. Or in the Aquaman story here, which is really beautifully drawn and I thought was um, great. Very dark and fun. They Great. turn the trench, uh, the villains, into mm-hmm. human trenches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which is weird. But, but they're like, well, this is a setup, and we'll follow that in Dawn of DC. And, uh, and so it, I, I don't know. It felt like they needed to do a little more work. But it also, at the same time, in two ways, feels like this very classic DC thing of one, instead of red skies, we've got Lazarus rain. And then two, You've always got titles. I'm forgetting which one it is. It's either Invasion or Bloodlines, the one where they were like, Mm. I think it was Invasion. Aliens come down and they mess with everybody's genetic stuff. And then you get a bunch of new heroes. So that's kind of what we're getting here. But I don't know. The the one thing that I'll say, I know I'm saying a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily cohere to anything, but that's what this title is. Sound like me over there. Well, that's what I think is the, that's my issue is like, it does feel like it's more of an editorial choice, these stories, yeah. and not a storytelling choice. And that's fine. It's good. But like reading the Aquaman story, I was like, this feels like a one like a one page out of the next Aquaman book. Rather well, than if, on the same note, though, the stories are good. I like the stories. The yeah, art in particular is really good. Caitlin Yarsky, great artist. Love seeing her own right. stuff. Uh, for, so if I can back up the truck here uh, – Francis Manipool uh, killed it on that flash. Like the art was unbelievable on, on the flash, right? That was like his 
big kind of uh, Pete. You're always talking about Flash, and I'll tell you what. I think we're ready to have it. He just runs fast, so I don't think you need to bring it up as much. All right. Well, yeah, I'm just saying that, special about him, Pete. I don't know why you like him so much. Oh my God! I'm just saying, like as an artist, it's it's really impressive the range that Francis Manipula has. Um, I felt like the first story was great. I love the uh, cool entrance by Aquaman. Wonder Woman Masora was also very solid. Uh, uh, and I like the, the Shazam, Shazam as well. Uh, super tight bananas art. I, I was just impressed with, like, they're setting something up. I don't know what's happening, but I feel like all the stories going into it, I'm feeling. I'm feeling like, oh, this is interesting. This is a unique take. Uh, I'm reading the kind of page before it starts being like, okay, interesting setup here. We haven't quite got it yet, but I'm not angry about it. Sometimes you're so sick of an event before it happens. I feel like they're doing a good job of just kind of like getting you used to this uh, thing that's happening. So I'm still completely on board and having a fun time with it. Also, the the covers for this was was unbelievable. Hey, but I'm on board too. I just feel like um, we've been seeing a lot of hors d'oeuvres go around, and some of them are good. A lot of them are good. The stuffed mushrooms are tasty. Oh, um, man, I, I love, love the shrimp. Stuffed mushrooms. There's, there's oh, this little man. toast with some like goo on it, but the goo's really good. I love all that. But where's the main event? Where's the meal? What do we do? What are we having? Because I ordered, I ordered the salmon, and I wanted to be good. <laughs> Sounds a little fishy to me, so why don't we move on to The Amazing Spider-Man number 18 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGinnis. We are almost to the end of the Dark Web event here, and this is following Peter Parker trying to escape from Limbo with J. Jonah Jameson. While back on Earth, just in case you didn't pick up Dark Web X-Men, Madeline Pryor is good now, and she's helping out the X-Men. And they're bringing the fight to Ben Riley, a.k.a. Chasm who is not good yet, and that is no. going to bring us into the end of this event. What do you guys think about this issue? Continues to be weird, but they've committed so hard to being weird that the story is coherent and coming together. I like this ragtag group of people that are like, have to come together to save the day. Pete, this is some more classic X-Men storytelling. You got to be psyched to see them hanging out and doing X-Men stuff. Well, uh, first off, slow your goddamn roll. Uh, Zeb Wells is doing a fun with this kind of like over the top characterization. This uh, I'm trying to look it up here. Rec rap and the Dr. Octoball. This is all just kind of really. And then, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. That whole like uh, weird button he had on his kind of his belt there. The uh, spider strangler or stangler or whatever it was, was was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, okay? Uh, but it's enjoyable. It's a silly and over-the-top fun. I feel like I'm having a good time with it, and the art's great. Archie versus the World, number one, from Archie Comics, <laughs> written by Aubrey Sitterson, art by Jed Darty. This is a post-apocalyptic Mad Max take on Archie Comics. How are you feeling? How's everybody feeling? Okay. Well, well, thanks. Thanks I feel pretty good. I, you know. I did order. I did order a, a, a cocktail though, and I ha- hasn't arrived yet. It, it'll also come around shortly. Salmon. It'll come around shortly. Yeah. I made it on my salmon as well. Yeah, it's a yeah. salmon cocktail. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, this is just kind of fun, juiced up characters. Uh, they look great as action figures. You know, I was a little let down by the ending. Uh, you know where. You know, he had the choice of uh, three amazing people, and then he just kind of walked away. I was like, Archie, what are you doing? Uh, but other than that, it's uh, it's yeah. a lot of fun. 
Contrasting every other Archie comic where he makes a definitive choice. Go ahead, Justin. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, um, if Archie's going to be in the Mad Max, of course he's going to choose the road over any of um, his uh, loves. I'm in love um, with the road. If he would have said that, it would have made more sense. But he just kind of walked away and mumbled. And away. I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, I mean, this book, I give it credit for going in hard. It committed so hard. Betty was was like super helpful and amazing to him, and he he treated her like crap, and I didn't appreciate it. Again, Uh, very different from a regular Archie comic. Go ahead, Justin. (laughs) The only thing that I thought was a little— I'm sorry, this is in a different Mad Max world where maybe you can make different choices? Yeah. Oh, fine. Uh, the only That's thing the I point. thought was, even at the end of the world, we make the same choices, Pete, because essentially we are. Who I don't we are believe down. I don't believe that. When the chips are down, what are you going to do, Pete? I think you can make a different choice. I don't think you will. Wow, this is turning into high drama over here between <laughs> these two hosts. I guess you're both basic. But I, on this, <laughs> on this book, uh, if I would have, I thought it really picked up in the second half. But I was sort of like, wait. They're in Mad Max world. Archie has some powers that we don't quite understand. That he can stab in the neck and no problem. And he can sort of phoenix out, I guess, in a way. Um, And because I would have preferred to have it just be like a straight up Mad Max story where Archie and Jughead are on the road and they have these different things that they do. Like I I think that's a great series where we we just map all those relationships on different parts of a ruined planet. Fun. Fun. Uh, So this was was maybe one step too many things happening, but I do like the world that we're in. Uh, My big question right now is what is going on with all these one shots at Archie? You know, uh, it, they constantly keep giving us like these pilots and then no follow up on them. I want to start seeing yeah. some follow up, you know, well, maybe they're I testing the market. There you know, they're, they're throwing some chum mm. in the old sea trying to see what sharks come up to eat. You know, oh, good chum. chum. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, chum. Once upon salmon. a time, I want my end- salmon is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, OK. Once upon a time at the end of the world, number three from Boob Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Alexandra Tefengi. In this issue, we're continuing to follow our star-crossed lovers as they travel across a yet another post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, they learn some important lessons about rats in this issue. Pete, mm. what would you think about this one? Well, I... Uh- I'm I'm really enjoying this. I I love it very much. I feel like this is uh, such a creative, cool, fun uh, kind of post-apocalyptic thing. Uh, I really like their relationship, and I feel like they were just getting somewhere. And I was super, you know, and of course I'm supposed to be, but I was super frustrated with the choice. Uh, spoilers that uh, she left her companion just as the bad guys got there. Um, but, you know, that's all supposed to happen. But it was just still like, oh, you guys were just kind of on the brink of bonding there and, and making a real kind of uh, relationship. So but man, I'm in and I want to read the next issue and I'm having a great time with this story and the art's super impressive. Uh, yeah, it's a good uh, romance it feels a little bit like um, the TV show Yellow Jackets, uh, the way we're getting the flash forward where mm-hmm. everything, there are ramifications for all the stuff. And um, we're, we, we have the most of the story set when our two main characters are young and, and falling in love. Um, so that's cool. And it also reminded me, I'm watching Last of Us right now. It reminded me of like a romantic version of that, which I think is a great idea for a comic and a TV show. 
Thor number 30 from Marvel, written by Torin Gronbach, art by Nick Klein. This is continuing to build up to something very big, I think, in Marvel Comics, as Thor is tracking down Corvus Glaive, who himself is on the trail of a black Infinity Stone. We don't get to see that this issue, but we do get a tease of a bunch of other things that are about to potentially go down. This felt very big to me. Uh, This feels like, you know, we've read a lot of comics. I don't know if you guys are aware, but... You feel like when they're leading up to events, like they hit sort of very typical things. This feels at this point like something fresh and new and dangerous to me. I hope that it goes in that direction, but I guess we'll see what happens. It reminds me a little bit of the way that um, DC does a lot of Wonder Woman storytelling where it's like big. There's mythological underpinnings, but it still extends into our modern continuity with other villains. And Marvel doesn't do that. They sort of keep the a lot of the mythology stuff outside of Jason Aaron, who just mashes up whatever the fuck he wants. Because uh, Jason the, Aaron, he can do whatever Jason, he wants. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Maybe we'll cover a book that he's writing later on. Maybe not. Um, but maybe not uh, today. But maybe not time. today. Yeah, maybe, maybe not we'll today. Cover a book that he wrote just before this. Yes, that's correct. Uh, but um, with with Thor, like I agree with you, the the way there's some Thanos stuff in here and Crazy. Corvus Glaive, great villain. What's a better name than Corvus Glaive? Great. Um, Pete LePage. Big... Pete LePage. Hey! Than... Oh, that is really intimidating. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. And then the reveal we get at the end, I thought was cool as well. Yeah, I mean, this to me, it felt like just kind of like really classic, great Thor action, you know, big over the top, like, you know, spoilers, but saving a kid from a monster. And I, I felt like the, you know, cool ghost wolf action was fun. Um, and I felt like the art really fits the time period nicely and amazing last page. Uh, I feel like the, this is such a. You know, like Jason Aaron just kind of like ramping up and just kind of like getting me excited. So uh, I'm very much enjoying this. Um, I didn't, you know, have a lot of the other stuff that you guys did, but it did feel like I was like, this is great Thor stuff going on right now. It's uh, It just felt like such a good kind of like Thor story and well done. And to be clear, this is written by Torin Gronbach, not by Jason Aaron. But yeah. Uh, Justice Society of America, number two from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Mikhail Janine, Jerry Ordway, and Scott Collins. In this issue, Huntress of the Future, the daughter of Batman and Catwoman, has traveled back in time to the original Justice Society of America to escape who we intuited and correctly discovered in this issue is Perdigaton, basically a time-traveling Nazi who wants to wipe out the Justice Society of America in every single timeline. We get a little bit more on that and a little more jumping around. I... I think this title is really interesting. I think uh, I love the format of it. It's not at all what I expected, but I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I I really thought the pace of this was really awesome. This really clicked in for me on this issue. I was super impressed. uh, uh, Loved where the story is going. uh, Liked all the characters involved. It felt like an epic kind of DC uh, you know, Justice Society, Justice League kind of story where we need all these different pieces in different areas and it's it's all going to come together. Uh, yeah, and also the art is just super tight bananas, bruh. Bruh. Uh, 
I agree with um, a lot that's been said. This has been this is really interesting. I'm still a little burnt by Huntress being the mask that Batman and Catwoman's uh, daughter wears. It feels strange to me. They don't like the Huntress. They don't hang with the Huntress. It's a different continuity. Yeah, come on, man. What's a come on? Yeah, but but the, it's like. It's like if I, like, I don't know. It just feels like they're the neighbor. They're looking at the neighbors. They're like, I'm going to be the neighbors. I'm going to wear the neighbors mask. Yeah, but this is, uh, I'm probably totally off base about this. I don't really remember all of the history. But first of all, I believe this is like Earth 2, right? This is the JSA's Earth. So it's a different Mm -hmm. Earth. And on that Earth, you don't have the Huntress who became part of the main continuity of DC in the same way. You have this character who was part of the original JSA back in the day. Yeah. So, like, it's a totally different character, and that's what he's basing it off of. Yeah. Now that these Earths and the multiverse are separated after the events of Dark Crisis. Yeah. No, I mean, I, the history, it, it all just feels, I think she should be the Batcat or some kind of, like, uh, amalgam of that on, or some version of that. Let it go. Uh, no, it's fine. It's I'm not. Meow, I, meow, I, I'm using echolocation. Meow meow. That's what I'm that. saying. That's the, exactly what bat we want. Cat. If we had, if an actual bat and an actual cat got together, had sex, and made a child, <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Oh that's what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> well, that's you, you wouldn't call. And you wouldn't call that thing. Anybody else wants. You wouldn't call that creation the Huntress. Probably. You could. What if that thing was really good at hunting? <laughs> that was point. a girl. It, it was a girl who was good at hunting. You call it Huntress Pete's right here. And uh, this section is brought to you by the island of Dr. Moreau. Now in theaters. <laughs> what? Now in Coming theaters. Coming back. Uh, everyone's 90s? favorite movie. Uh, from the mid '90s, but I mean, this book is very good. Jeff Johns has a couple good books out there these days. Someone who we haven't been super excited about lately. I feel like Darkwing Duck, number one from Dynamite, written by Ben Dibert, art by Carlo Laura. This is bringing back the classic cartoon series now in comic book form, continuing the adventures of a Batman-style duck. Um, Pete, I have to imagine you liked this back in the day. So, what did you think about this comic? Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, that I remember Darkwing Duck, and I appreciate this nostalgia bath that I got to go on. It felt like a continuation from the cartoon, and uh, I had I had a great, good time with this. It was just kind of like going back on uh, memory lane. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I so, feel like we're we're taking a nostalgia bath a couple times this uh, in this stack, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, cartoons coming to life in this stack. Uh, this was fun. This felt like just a new episode that um, out of continuity, uh, mm-hmm. Darkwing Duck. Uh, it was great to see our guy Launchpad again. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. Uh, Goslin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the guy's name who's their friend? It's like the accordion Lucho dude. Honker. Honker. Yeah, honker is yeah. <laughs> uh, who looks very strange. The thick glasses on poor Honker. There's nothing wrong with that, dude. Yeah, no, no, nothing. Uh, nothing wrong okay, with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, some people have to grow up with thick glasses. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. You you were sort of the honker of comic book club. Mm-hmm. This, <laughs> like you guys are saying, I thought was very consistent with the show, and that's ultimately what you want out of it. It's fun. It's a good all ages title. I if even if you've never seen the show, you could pick this right up and hand this to somebody. Good stuff. Let's get dangerous. 
A crazy catchphrase for a children's show, by the way. <laughs> Dead Let's seas. get dangerous. <laughs> Dead Seas, number two from IDW, written by Kevin Scott, art by Nick Brokenshire. This is set on a boat that is filled with ghosts that are being used to be harvested for their ectoplasm. In the last issue, a ghost broke free. There was a prison break, and also some pirates are going to take over the ship. That continues this issue. I, uh, Pete, I know you were freaked out by the ghosts. Last issue. How does you feel about even more ghosts this yeah, issue? Yeah, I mean, this, uh, these are just the giant, like, baby face ghosts. Are, they, they fuck me up, man. It's, it's a really creepy choice. Uh, mm-hmm. The art is fantastic. Interesting kind of plot twists in this uh, that kind of really blow up at the end. But, uh, I, yeah, I was uh, – this is very intriguing, but that, that blob of baby ghosts really fucks with me. Uh, yeah, I would say this uh, this book has sort of that classic horror comic look and feel to it, especially the art, like an EC Comics mm. sort of like everything about it seems like everyone's going to die. Nothing good is going to happen. And I think the story actually backs that up. It feels like every decision feels like the, each character is trying to fuck over the character right next to them. And it's hard to tell who at all is redeemable here. So I'm curious if there is a hero even in this mix. I'm just, I'm just wondering guys, like if if someone's like, yes, there are ghosts on board, but don't worry. We'll give you this like half shield that will protect you. I mean, you guys would be like, Oh, thank you. I'll I'll use this. Like I was like, I don't, I'm not going to use a fucking shield. These, these are ghosts. Like this is insane. Well, ghosts don't like to see their reflection. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I really like that detail, actually, because that felt exactly how you are describing it, Pete, that they're handed these shields that don't really cover their entire body. And they're <laughs> like, well, we're screwed. There's no way this is going to work. And it does actually kind of work and it works well enough. But that tension is built yeah. really nicely there, both with the art and the writing. Why don't we turn to another tense read, Murder World Wolverine, Wolverine, number one from Marvel, written by Jim Zub and Ray Fox, art by Carlos Nieto. In this issue, our survivors are continuing to battle their way through Murder World, this time against a bunch of robotic Wolverines who can't stop saying bub over and over Uh, again. One thing that I really appreciate this book, a couple of issues in, which you wouldn't know for the repeated number ones. All number ones. That we keep switching perspectives, and as we switch perspectives, the writers are not precious about the characters we've previously been following at all. Like, anybody can go at any time, and that's that's not something you really get, particularly in a mainstream Marvel comic. Yeah, yeah I like the way the stakes are high all the time here. But still, having all the Wolverine robots just say bub, there's like a a dark comedy. Even they're absolutely slaughtering all the people. Uh, Like 40 people die in that scene (laughs) by a bunch of bubs, a bunch of bub-talking Wolverines. That's fun. Uh, I feel like Arcade is really fun in this book and absolutely menacing. There's this dark side of like how, how content is made that's like oh that person just died horribly on camera let's cycle that, that had to for feel, the ad. you had to yeah. feel seen as a line producer arcade was basically doing your job you know talking about the storyline and how they were going to do different things you know behind the scenes and make great television yeah there's a guy with a walkie and it's based on me yeah yeah i definitely i got worked that. on a murder one season of murder world <laughs> <laughs> great great yeah i mean really i good felt- money 
I felt a little jipped by the title because I thought I would get more Wolverine in this. Uh, but um, I, I'm I'm impressed with the arcade and what's kind of going down. And I feel like it's a fun idea and it's impressive what they're doing with it. So I was kind of won over by it. I feel like they're doing some great storytelling here. Do you feel like arcade um, feels pressure to change his name? He probably like does. A- Xbox or, oh, or yeah. Switch. Streaming. Streaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Steam. Or I'm yeah, not arcade Steam. anymore. I'm Steam. Or maybe he could be Netflix's next try thing they're going to try, maybe? <laughs> Question mark? I mean, they are trying it. It's not really working. Action Comics 1051 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy, Johnson, Dan Jurgens, and Leah Williams. Art by Rafa Sandoval, Lee Weeks, and Marguerite Savage. This is kicking off a new era of Superman, and we get three stories here. One with Power Girl, one with uh, Superman. And yep. one it's with, like a flashback uh, to when yeah. John Kent was still Oh, there young. we go. And uh, Lois and Clark story from Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks. Um how are you guys feeling about the new era of Superman? I know we were a little mixed about the identity going back into the box, but this is kicking off um, after that and following along of that, though they really don't reference that at all. Well, he, he, Clark Kent does have to change out of his clothes, uh, sort of in a hurry, but he does it in public. So I was definitely <laughs> clocking that. Well, everyone's got a thing to shoot Excuse out of their me. mouth. <laughs> uh, I felt like this was uh, coffee easy and burpy over here. Yeah, yeah, amazing, <laughs> amazing covers. This was a fun collection of stories. Uh, like the first one dealing with uh, the family getting bigger and uh, adopting uh, kids and how that's going to affect the rest of the family, and then they kind of reveal spoilers of uh, the villain there. Um, uh, I, I realized I didn't want to give it away in case somebody has read it. Well, uh, the, but this villain has been set up for the last uh, few, like, I don't want to, like, And he is on the issues. cover, so. Okay, cover. Right, fine. It's, it's Metallo, and okay. I love the way that it's been built up. I'm really excited that this is sort of coming to fruition. Cause yeah, the I'm, way I'm that, impressed with it, yeah. The way that Philip Kennedy Johnson has built up Metallo and Lex Luthor manipulating him has been great and is really scary. Seems like a particularly unhinged uh, villain. Which is really cool. And then I thought the uh, the Lee Weeks and Dan Jurgen story was really nice. And I actually like that it's in a different continuity. Reminds me, if we're sort of mapping on family to see sort of the older core family of uh, Clark Lois and John, I think is really cool. And then all this Power Girl stuff where she has this new ability and then getting into therapy, almost like a – character of the week or a story of the week where she has to fix a superhero therapy issue. I think it's really cool. Cool. Yeah. Marguerite Savage's art in particular on that story is phenomenal as usual. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, Lost Years, number one from IDW Publishing, written by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz, art by S.L. Gallant and Ben Bishop. This is continuing the story of The Last Ronin while flashing back in time to saw us what happened to Mike Michelangelo, I want to say. Yeah, uh, Mikey. It, Mikey. We call him Mikey. I, I don't know. They right. put some respect on him, bro. Sorry, Nun- man. Old nunchucks. And in the years between when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lost and when we picked up on The Last Ronin. Now, Pete, I put this in here in the stack, and this felt like this should have been a slam dunk for you. It was not. I'm curious to hear why. 
Well, first of all, uh, you know, uh, Eastman and Laird uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was the thing that pulled me into the comics. It was my favorite. It was the beginning for me. It very holds a special time in my life. And then we got The Last Ronin, which was also written by Eastman and Laird. They came back, uh, dusted off an old story from way back in the day, and it was amazing. It's very exciting. And uh, super well done. It was also done in the art style uh, a little bit of that. This was not written by Eastman and Laird. It was written by Eastman and Tony Waltz. So Tom Waltz. Tom Waltz. Oh, sorry. Does that make it better that his name is Tom? Wait, why are you so mad at Tom Waltz? Well, I don't know who Tom is. I got no problem with Tom. I don't think he knows who you is. is, Well, that's fine. (laughs) My point being. I don't think he knows who you is. It's not (laughs) Eastman and Laird. It's it's not the OGs, the original ones who started Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles together, which is what made this whole special. Wait, Wait, I'm just realizing something. A lot of the comics we're talking about aren't written by the original people either. Oh my god! You oh, want to get into holy this? Holy shit! We got. I do actually want to ask you. You're aware that Laird was not actually involved in the Last Rodin, right? No, he was because he originally uh, came up with the idea with Eastman back in the day. But they didn't write it together. Yeah, I but think they there were was both an credited idea. for they the were story. Credited because they did it back in the day before right. they got really bad and stopped talking to each exactly. other. Exactly. So I was hoping so that the maybe actual could... project, the last run, and they did not work on together. <laughs> so mad. I'm going to fucking leave this like fucking later. <laughs> well, you're the layer. You're trying to you're gonna you. fucking I'm make just me... saying like, oh, yeah, you fucker. You, you asked me my opinion and I'm fucking trying to tell you. OK, so I had hope that maybe these people who had beef with each other got over it. Because something did so well that maybe there was hope that they could bridge that and get back together and start creating stuff. But that's not true. So that dream died and that hope is gone. And now Tommy Waltz is here and I got to act like I give a shit about this fucking guy. And I don't because the original people who created this amazing thing, it's over. They're, they don't talk to each other. They don't get along anymore. And now I'm understanding why. Pete, we all agree Tom Waltz is a stupid piece of <laughs> shit. Uh, don't, that's, no, yeah, I hope that's, he's listening no, to this. No, don't say I that. I hope for, he's listening to this. We this agree with guy. what you're saying, Pete. Tom Waltz, no, go no. go walk into a sewer, <laughs> no. lick some fucking radioactive goo, and no, die. Or become Thanks. a turtle. Or become a turtle. Hey, I have a re- quick question. Okay. So no, in, no. The, in the Can future the- sequences of this book... There's a bunch of new younger turtles, and April is like, well, got to train them to be ninjas, too. Is that just a thing? Like, I feel like my first reaction if I saw a turtle would not be, well, that has to be a ninja. Well, are you serious? Well, you, they're you, not right, <laughs> turtles. You, I understand the first ones. Like, there's a logical progression there from whoever that guy, the human guy is. Who Splinter. Splinter, a normal rat, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who learned karate from his master. Karate. From his that master. all I get. It, that I can logically it makes follow. Sense. And then he Anyone can learn karate. And he taught some turtles ninja stuff. That all I get. But because then, these, he are, had these are other turtles. That, them and it gave them discipline. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. These are other turtles. They don't need to be ninjas. They have a whole world ahead of them, other things they could do. They could be. But, 
I don't know. Probably not comic book writers well, like that. Piece of shit, Tom <laughs> Waltz. Stop, stop <laughs> shit, shitting on that probably nice person. Listen, you, you, you shit on him, Pete, and he don't even know who you is. <laughs> okay, so it's something we've established. <laughs> listen, I, there's more that, that I would like to get into about this. If you, <laughs> well, let me, let me. It let wasn't me. just Laird isn't involved and Tom Waltz sucks. No, there's more criticism. Yes, I don't know before, how, what else there okay, could be. Okay, can we please just before uh, you get into it? I just want to say because hey, you've shouted for upwards of 15, 20 minutes at this point. No, that's not true. <laughs> uh, maybe a minute. Um, why is April O'Neil the one who's like taking Splinter's message forward with these new baby turtles? Is she? She's the only one left, really. I mean, what, what else? Was Who she sort is... of part of the mission? Because she's more on the reporting side. I'm surprised the... you guys don't, aren't like, where did these turtles come from? Who? Well, had let me ask you. Yeah, I also babies. have those questions. Who... But yeah, and I they assume call Michelangelo it... sprouted them. Is that how turtles give birth? Or maybe April is grand, Grandma April. Maybe her and Mikey got together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that, All right, my, here's is that I, part of is that part of Eastman and Laird's idea that <laughs> no. humans and turtles can make baby turtles? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Teen, okay. Teenage Mutant Fuck Machines. Oh my god! <laughs> Wasn't that the name of the van? The Fuck Machine. Okay. So. Okay. So or the Green Machine. Casey Bones. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, so then we have this prequel to Last uh, Ronin where, uh, you know, Michelangelo is separated from the rest of his family, okay? And in this issue, we learn that in the height of a battle, Michelangelo just goes, you know what, fuck all you guys. And I felt like that was a real middle finger to Michelangelo and uh, someone who, you know, uh, liked Mikey before the TV show and before all that. Uh, um, you know, where he was the party pizza guy and just said cowabunga all the time. I felt like it was really an upsetting uh, uh, time and way to kind of leave his family that was extra a kick in the nuts and kind of went against a lot of who he is uh, as a turtle and like being the heart of the team and being somebody who brought people together. I just felt like it was such a horrible time to leave. And I was just disappointed with that choice. And I felt like, you know, you can make that decision of like, Hey, I gotta, I, this isn't for me anymore, guys. I gotta go live in a mountain and meditate and find out who I am. Fine. But you don't do that in the middle of a battle where your family needs you. So I was disappointed with that. And that was also the thing that kind of, it was like a one, two punch of like, okay, we can't get the original two who came up with this unbelievable thing that is still going on so many years later. And is such a huge part of pop culture um, that, you know, we can't get these two people to uh, create amazing content again. We're going to go back to this last Ronin thing again, but we're not going to do it with them. And we're also going to make a choice that is also kind of a middle finger to who Michelangelo is. And I was really uh, hurt by that and kind of turned off by that choice. Well, let me quickly just check the notes. Um, uh, Leonardo leads, Donatello does machines. That was the cartoon. Raphael, that Raphael was not is, the original. Raphael, <laughs> Raphael is cool but rude. Give me a break. And Michelangelo's the heart of the team and would never lay down in a fight. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's so right there. <laughs> it's right there in yeah. the song that he is disrespected in this book. I mean, I think the whole point of this is like 
the fight. If Raph got- wants to leave in the middle of the fight, fine. I got no problem with that. You know what I mean? He's rude. He's also very <laughs> selfish as far as the other ones are concerned. So, well, but I think the the point of the story is that I think Michelangelo's been beaten down by the world. The rest of his family has been killed, and he's like, I'm done. And yeah, but he, also his, the reason they're dead is because he left at a huge point where they he could have been the difference maker. Um, I, I don't know. Is that actually because I feel like he left? He left in the middle of a different fight, it's, and like because they were later killed in like nine different ways. They got like they're full of arrows. A different yeah, do they uh, die? And that's why he is on this mountain in this story. He there was a big fight going on, and he just told Splinter, "Yo, I'm out." And Splinter's like, "Yo, you can't leave us like this." And he did. Hmm. Well, we've already cut out to where he is after that happens, and now we're just finding how he got to the point where he made the decision to return and get revenge for his brothers. So uh, this is I respect your feelings, and I respect that you're feeling very strongly about it. I would say I like The Last Rodin, and I did think that part was very interesting. I had more problems with the future part, just getting very hung up on, I don't know, it feels like turtles are not very aerodynamic, like I would not naturally think of them doing karate. And again, I understand these other turtles do karate, but there's a logical progression there that we've already talked about. That new turtles, I wouldn't look at them and be like, let's also teach them karate, because it's just not going to work. You know, I understand it worked once, but that was a fluke. You had Splinter, who was an excellent teacher, who was a regular rat watching you <laughs> do karate. Watching karate. <laughs> and that's the best way of learning karate. But April is several step removed there, and I don't know how she's going to teach these new turtles karate. Or maybe they could find another rat that, like, watched professional basketball and is like, and, and learned how to, like, There are up. no rules that turtles can't play basketball. That's... <laughs> 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 anyway, we should probably well, have We have a we're couple of other fun. titles to talk about here. Behold Behemoth, number three from Boom Studios, written by Tate Brobel, art by Nick Robles. This is a big exposition dump issue as we finally find out what behemoths are, for example. And I've been really enjoying this title all along, but it's been very mysterious as to who these characters are, what's going on in the present timeline, what's going on in the future timeline. Finally, all that collides that we get pretty much all the answers we need in this issue. How'd you feel about how this exposition uh, came out over the course of the issue? I appreciated it. I like getting it all. This book reminds me of uh, the book we just talked about a couple back, uh, where we're getting uh, Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, where we're getting – that was the Jason Aaron book I was talking about. Um, <laughs> I just remembered. Uh, but the um, the way that this book is sort of <laughs> split into two times. Aaron again. It's going to get us all fucking – Split into multiple Who timelines. Who do you want to talk about? Tom fucking Waltz? <laughs> oh, my God. Down I'm sure he's Waltz. a very nice guy. I yeah. think he is a nice guy. I honestly I think Laird, Laird seems like he's sort of a jerk. That's just my thinking. It could be. I don't know. Uh, but this book, I like the the split time is working really well, and uh, I think the story is, is fun and interesting. Yeah, I felt like it's it's moving in a great uh, uh, direction. I appreciated all the info we got in this Um uh, art super type bananas. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying this. I, I feel like uh, I also really like the the line like let's send this uh, worm back to hell. I thought that was fun. This is uh, they did a great job of giving us information, but also giving us enough action where it just didn't feel like an info dump. 
really great creature work from Nick Robles yeah. as well. Very, yeah. very cool. Big kaiju fights going on here. Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise, number three for Marvel yes. by Trad Moore. This is a wild, weird book that I know is one of Pete's favorites of the week. So take it away, Pete. This is mind-blowing, face-melting art. You want the juice? The, this has got the super drippy oranges, brah. This You don't need panels. Where we're going, there are no panels. Oh, no. This is all You went art. too far. You went too far. All art, baby. No uh, what are you panels. even talking about? I was this barely on just... board with the super tight bananas. Drippy this... orange juice panels? No. This, no. Is just, this is just super drippy oranges, bro. No. Banana uh, juice? This is uh, this is just uh, it's worth it for the art alone. I cannot uh, believe that all the stuff that they were kind of doing on this issue it was just so tripped out in such an amazing, cool way. Ah, it was just so cool to read over and over again. Um, yeah, this I'm Pete. You love this. This is very trippy. The story is sort of hard to figure out what is the full no. deal. No, it's all there in the art, man. You don't need words. Uh, I mean, there okay. are words. <laughs> oh, I see what's happening here. Pete's, Pete's getting fucked up and reading this comic. What's happening here? And he likes it. Daddy likes. My big impression, I will say, uh, out of this issue is, and this will turn Pete from happy to angry, but this is Multiverse of Madness. This is what Multiverse of Madness should have felt Ooh. like, is like tripped out, mind-blowing images, things curling inside of things. Yeah. And yeah, from an art perspective, you really can just look at it and be like, this is gorgeous. This is a gorgeous series of paintings. Gorgeous. I agree with you, Justin. It's a little hard to hold on to the story. Uh, but at you. the same time, worth it for the art alone, as I like to say. The Human yeah. Target, number 11 from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. Finally getting into it here, talking about exposition, the mystery is solved. We find out who tried to kill Lex Luthor and who killed the Human Target. He's got one day to live. Well, two days, we follow the second to last day here. Justin, I know you love this one, so why don't you talk about it? Uh, yeah, it's... There's one issue left, but the mystery has been unraveled in this issue. The only thing left to deal with is the relationship that we slowly watch come together and how uh, Christopher is going to fall apart, how Christopher is going to survive. There's a great scene that's built up to at the end here that um, I, I won't talk about, but like was really cool. The art is beautiful. There's a beautiful just sunset moment here. Uh, uh, yeah. It is fantastic. I mean uh, – it's so tight. I mean, the super tight bananas. I mean, this art is just, it's so worth it just to pick it up to look at how tight these bananas are. I, I also think it's such a interesting Do you also of, think that it's super drippy, wet oranges? Is that what you were saying? Or is no, that a different thing? We're talking about, it, this is a different style completely here. Oh, okay. This isn't tripped out, drippy shit. This is tight. Bananas let, here. Let me this ask you: different. Do you think this is how Bob Ross became like how he was by the end? <laughs> he just started talking like that, and then pretty soon he was like, "That's all he said anymore." Well, if you watch the documentary, there's a lot of things going on with that guy that was a little. If a little... you watch a documentary about UP, there's a lot going. On. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, anyways, I just think that uh, 
I don't know. Like the ending kind of got me with that, uh, you know, spoilers, but they, the, the finger on the trigger thing, I got worried that, uh, maybe he shot her at the end. That's certainly what the implication of the lone seagull in one of the final battles is. I think, um, I want to throw something out at you guys. This is pure speculation theory. Uh Uh-oh. Do you think there's a chance he's going to survive this? Because I kind of feel like there's one of two ways this can go. Either this is a tragedy and he's like, yep, that's it for me, the human target at the end. And that would be a very dark way to go. Very true to Tom King. I would not be surprised by that. The other way, though, that I started to feel in this issue, because he actually unraveled the mystery, is like... Wait, what if this was his goal all along? What if this was his way of being the human target here? And ultimately, yes, he is going to get out of the poison. There was something that we don't know about that happened previously. And that that's how he unraveled this thing. Let me take it one step further, because I think 100% he's going to survive. But I think, and he'll be back doing, like, we're going to end with, like, a couple pages of him in another... Uh, villain or hero or doing another thing where he's taking on someone else's persona in disguise. But I think the real death he's going to suffer is I think he really does love ice and I think they're not going to, they're going to break up. And so I think he will have that real, the one thing he never had his whole life was a real emotional connection because he's always assuming different identities and risking his life. And now he has that and he's going to sacrifice that and that's going to kill him. Uh, two things. First off, uh, uh, I'm glad someone finally slipped on the ice because that was driving me fucking nuts. Secondly, um, I loved her reaction of like, hey, fuck you, man. Like, I did this. Why are you not angry at me? I want to talk about us. Like, we're having this beautiful time. We're having sex all over the place and la, 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 la. Sleeping on ice? Laying down on ice? Ooh, that's not nice. Yeah, and but let's talk about our relationship here, I was super happy that she kind of got into that. Um, but I'm worried about them uh, <laughs> moving forward, obviously. Um, you don't I, think they're going to settle down and start a little family? Well, I'm just worried that uh, somebody's got to be the killer by the end of it. And um, I don't think they're both making it out of this alive. But it's it's hard because I feel like they're perfect for each other. Um, so yeah, this is just, Tom King is just doing such an amazing job weaving the story, uh, along with the readers and it's, you know, super emotional and really well done. Yeah. He's our second most talked about Tom this episode. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I'm so sorry to that poor man. Yeah. (laughs) Youth season three, number one from Comixology, written by Kurt Pyers, art by Alex Diotto. This is... Kicking off, if you haven't read the previous two seasons of this, you might be a little lost at the beginning here, but there's a bunch of kids with superpowers. They're all living on Mars. They're traveling back to Earth to fight crime every once in a while, and things go terribly wrong over the course of this issue. What did you guys think about this one? I really like this, and I haven't read the first two seasons, but I, I thought this is j- jump inable for sure, and I jump think it's a really, it's really cool uh Story, cool characters. I like this world. Yeah, I agree. This is a crazy interesting comic. I love the kind of setup, the people with powers versus non-powers. Dece art. And I just feel like uh, the main character, you know, is a a little bit too loose for my taste. But I'm very interested to see where it's going to go. Oh, wow. He's breaking breaking hearts. I'm not. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you are. 
I said for my taste. That's <laughs> how you're I'm not trying to. Him. <laughs> I'm not trying to shame him. Whoa, he can live his life, do whatever he wants. Live your life however you want. I hate it, but whatever you want to do. Hey, you can live your life. You do you. You make mistakes. You ruin other people's relationship. That seems cool for you. <laughs> very passive aggressive. I, I just a little worried bananas. about maybe very the passive aggressive bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. All right. Hell to Pay, number three from Image Comics, written by Charles Soule, art by Will Sliney. In this issue, our main characters have finally figured out who is behind the fake, well, not fake, uh, but additional coins that summon demons beyond the coins that they have been tasked to get. They are coming directly for him in a big way, so this is a big action issue. What do you all think about this one? One of two books we're talking about today where coins have demons in them, which is fun <laughs> and weird that that's a thing. It's that's like the Armageddon coins, deep impact of comics or ants mm. and bug life, if you prefer. Whoa. Um, yeah, wow. I know. Everyone's a huge fan of ants. Uh, the thing I would say about this is um, I'm the it's good. child in a family of two billion. You know how I was setting you up for that? You know how I was doing that? I was doing that. I know yeah, you yeah. got that ants uh, impression ready to go. Uh, this is a great action uh, sequence. Pete hanging his head in shame weirdly. Uh, and I, I, <laughs> I don't know why. I can't think of any particular reasons. Yeah. Huge bug life. Is it about the bug's life side of it? Yeah. Or, is that yeah. It? Can't have anything to do with the stars of ants. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. That's what I was worried about is what you're doing the impression of. Yeah. Yeah, but this comic, uh, great you action sequence. Possibly be stop, <laughs> stop doing it. Uh, get out your clarinet. Let's really commit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like know the, this much about ants. The <laughs> <laughs> I think we've lost the track. Take it away, Justin. The way there's a great action sequence here. I like um, this is becoming now that we're getting more of the information out for the story. It's uh, nice to follow our characters. I like the the couple at the center here and they meet a guy who is has a fun little side mission that it doesn't go well. Oh, sorry, I was just thinking about Charles Soul listening to this review and being like, hey, you know, what would be a good poll quote for our book is those guys were talking about ads a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this has got a lot of creepy monsters. The big go- mouth guy really freaked me out. Uh, it's a very interesting He's story. A good guy. Yeah, he still freaked me out, man. Uh, very interesting story. Uh, solid uh, art. I think this is Deese. All Out Avengers number five from Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Greg Land. I believe this is the final issue of this book that has been following the Avengers as they're dealing with an unknown threat that is putting them through the paces to train them to face some mysterious other threat. It's a big reveal at the end here that, as I mentioned with the previous issue, was unfortunately spoiled by solicits. So if you looked at solicits and you looked at the news, you knew who this was and who was behind this the entire time. But at the same time, I think the way that they executed this issue was so much fun. And the reveal at the end, even if you knew it, was great to see. Justin, I know you're a big fan of this one, so take it away. Yeah, go ahead and spoil it. I love the way the the mystery unfolds. The spoiler isn't even that big of a deal because it's the story is so great. There's just Agreed. great Spi- Spider-Man versus Avengers uh, battle where Spider-Man yeah. really comes up huge. Nobody's right in the end. Um, another great Landy Land uh, collab mm-hmm. uh, here. Mm-hmm. Great Captain America speech at the end. One yeah. of those speeches that I feel like Captain America 
you know, he talks a lot. Uh, but it's not often when you really feel like someone turned a page and made Captain America really inspiring in in his superheroics. And I thought this and the speech at the end of this book did did that. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I I feel like this is such a great ish. Uh, uh, it was fun to see kind of Spider Man trying to convince the Avengers that they have been you know mind controlled, and they did a, a, a good amount of the old switcheroos. It's such a great read, super smart, very enjoyable. Love the ending, super type bananas art. Blue Beetle Graduation Day number three from DC Comics, written by Josh Trulio, art by Adrian Gutierrez. Talk about Power Rangers vibes from the Massive Verse books. I think we're getting it here as well as we're introducing more and more different colored beetles from a new threat that are coming directly for Jaime Reyes. And uh, yeah, it was fun. I had a fun time. Yeah, I agree. This is fun. I, I like the Starfire Blue Beetle team up. Uh, the Batman threatening the old Blue Beetle is fun. Great art, uh, a, a fun youthfulness to the art that I really think sets a nice tone for this comic. Yes, agree. I like Blue Beetle. Really gives it back. Ted Kord's really giving it back to Batman in this issue. Yeah. I didn't know he was such a. I feel like Batman wouldn't take that kind of sass. Well, he's gone. He yes. left, so it was fine. There you go. Uh, very fun book. Definitely pick this up. Next one. Well, yeah, we need to talk, uh, maybe put like a little bit of a trigger warning at the uh, beginning here, potentially. Yes. But Rick and Morty number one from OD Press, written by Alex Fire, art by Fred C. Stressing and Gina Weinbrent. This is kicking off a new ongoing series about Rick and Morty. I believe it is the first one of that type. They've done a bunch of uh, limited series, crossovers, one shots. But this is supposed to be like the big launch of Rick and Morty comic. Came at a terrible time where Justin yeah. Roiland, the co-creator of Rick and Morty, we don't know all of the details, but is uh, involved in a domestic assault case. Um, we don't again, we don't know the details of that necessarily, but also a bunch of people have come out and put some pretty terrible things about him online. Again, unconfirmed by independent sources, but it's certainly a lot of stuff in terms of assault, in terms of soliciting yeah. a minor, other things like that. Pretty terrible mm-hmm. stuff to the point that earlier on tonight, as we were taping this podcast, Adult Swim put out a statement saying that Rick and Morty has parted ways with Justin Roiland. They will be continuing the show, but without him in season seven, which is a wild thing to happen because not only is the co-creator of the show, but also he does, I want to say, approximately 90% of the voices on the show. Um, However, we've had Alex Fire on our live show. Great guy. Super nice. I wish this hadn't happened to him. The title is coming out anyway. So with all that in mind, (laughs) what did you think about this book? Well, I mean, the book is a separate. Justin Roiland is not involved in the comic book, right, so yeah. I think we can leave at least part of that aside. Uh, cause, but I do think – I'm sure there's a real worry that the this whole Rick and Morty is sort of in danger because of the creator's uh, bad choices and bad – being a bad person essentially. Uh, but I think the book uh, as a standalone thing – is is fun and carries the tone of the show pretty well has an insane amount of references and and crossover elements uh from the, all the different iterations of the comics and the TV series but i i thought the part that was the most interesting to me is really changing up some of the relationships here and adding some relationships that i think could actually be a little bit more of give us more of a story and a more different story to follow going forward yeah, I agree. I, I felt like the uh, uh, you know 
the tone of the cartoon, the humor from the cartoon that you want. Uh, it's hard to say that knowing that a lot of shit has gone down. Um, but uh, since this is separate, um, uh, but I, I I just feel that like it does a good job of, of getting the humor of the show and bringing it to this comic. And then also I like the Morty, uh, you know, having maybe a girlfriend kind of relationship here that may be budding is a great kind of place to kind of uh, put Morty in and moving forward, have some fun with. So. Yeah, I agree. Particularly, I feel a little better that Adult Swim came out with a statement right before we were taping this because I wasn't sure how we were going to respond to it necessarily on the show. But like we're saying, it is a separate thing. It is a good team. It's absolutely wild. The amount of things that happened in this comic book as well, it is definitely yeah. very, very packed with information and jokes. Why don't we move on to another one, though? Junkyard Joe, number four from Image Comics, written once again by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. This is following an old man and his robot friend as they befriend a bunch of kids and some other guys with robot-style masks come straight for them. And I know I'm playing it down, but I like this book. (laughs) (laughs) I like this, too. Uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank are a great team. And this book has such an air of, like, something bad's about to happen to all the characters. There's a tension. Everyone's playing it pretty cool. They're like, this is fun. Look, a robot. It's weird that my robot comic strip character is alive. And then the – but they don't know that something horrible is coming for them that kills indiscriminately. Uh, So it's a good world, a good setup, and I've been enjoying this. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is great. I mean, this we're really kind of getting more uh, for who the robot is and what's going on, which is great. I've been enjoying this uh, story and this I feel like I really kind of clicked in and started to enjoy it more. We we kind of uh, get this kind of reveal that there are more robots out there and maybe Joe is a nice robot and uh, a better robot than his other robots. So uh, I have hope for Junkyard Joe moving forward. But man, what got me in the feels was the old comic strips, especially the Calvin and Hobbes. I was like, oh my God, Calvin and Hobbes. I miss you, Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, Just to be clear, I think those guys are regular guys who are wearing metal masks that make them look like Junkyard Joe, but I guess we'll have to see. We don't know everything about them at this point. Yeah, or maybe they're robots that make it look like they have eyes behind the robot eyes. You know what I mean? Oh, well, that's like what I am. What? Exterminator number five (laughs) from Marvel, written by Leah Williams. Classically trained my ass. This is programmed. The final issue of this book, at least for now, everybody should go buy it so we can get plenty more, but it's taking a bunch of light-powered characters and Wolverine, a.k.a. X-23, um, mixing them together, and they are fighting vampires. I had such a fun time reading this book. It is so goofy and ridiculous and over-the-top. I laughed out loud at least twice reading this issue alone. I just want to see more. And, and Justin, you were talking about different tones for X-Men yes. earlier in the show. That was my big impression out of this, that I felt like all of this stuff is very deep and dense and very sci-fi with a lot of the things that are coming out of the X-Men line. This is just doing its own thing and having a great time doing it. And I had such a blast reading it. Me too. I love, I love it. It's fun. The art really matches the tone that we're talking about. And I would see these characters go do any sort of mission. And now Pete's going to talk in a second, but you can tell he's not happy because he's so far away from the camera right now that I don't even know if he can lean in and reach the mic. 
No, I'm glad you guys are having a good time. You know, some uh, some comics, you know, hit people differently. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, uh, so I'm glad you guys are having fun. Pete, yeah. did you have a problem with Wolverine saying, who wants a beer, you sluts? Was that your issue? No, no, no. I just feel like, you know, the... Uh, oh, team. wait, no, wait. What did she say? What up, sluts? It's beer o'clock. I think that was the line. It was <laughs> something like that. Um well, the next – this will be coming back for a second series, and it's it's actually written and drawn by Tom Waltz. I don't know if that's <laughs> going to be a problem. That fucking guy. Sorry again, Tom Waltz. We love you. Maybe. I don't know. We haven't met you. But. We love you. <laughs> oh, we love I'm you. sorry. We're in love with you. We're in love. We love you. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Whew. Sandman <laughs> Universe – <laughs> Dead Boy Detectives number two from DC Comics, written by Pornsack Pitishant and art by Jeff Stokely, is continuing the story of the Dead Boy Detectives interacting with some Thai ghosts. What do you guys think? Yeah, Little monsters. I, we don't know. I yeah. love the art. It's such a cool look. Uh, the way they did the kind of like scary uh, kids is creepy as fuck, but. Uh, uh, very touching stuff and really well done. Yeah, and just to break down the title a little bit, you don't have to have read a lot of Sandman to follow this story at all. You could just walk into this, and it's a totally... If anything, it feels like the Sandman universe as a part of the title feels like it's shorthand for saying, or longhand for saying Vertigo, because this feels like a classic Vertigo book. Uh, if you had liked Vertigo, you could definitely pick this up and enjoy it. Hitomi, number four, from Image Comics, written by H.S. Talk, art by Isabella Mazzanti. In this issue, our main characters have separated. The trainer has gone off to live his best life and just relax and have a good time. And his young trainee is going off to war and killing a bunch of dudes. Killing so many people. Pete, take it away. Yeah, I just I love this story. I love what's going on here. Uh, we have this kind of like setup of these two warriors who are eventually going to come back and collide. Uh, but man, I, I love the, the, the pacing of this, the way this is all being laid out is super smart, super impressive. Uh, I just, uh, every panel and every kind of like page, I I'm just so, so into this. I feel like the art is just so well done. The, it fits the time period so nicely, really impressed what they're doing here. Every issue is a fucking banger. I love it. Are you supposed to say the title like the popular 80s song, Take On Me? Hitomi. 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 Yes. Uh, That's what I think about a lot when I'm getting this title. Uh, But I agree. It is very good. I really like the art style, sort of uh, blending some uh, older, like, Japanese style with uh, modern comic uh, art is cool. And it's a fun book. Damn them all. Number four from Boom Studios, written by Simon Spurrier, art by Charlie Adler. This is the other book about coins that summon demons. This issue is going down with a big Bob Demon War. How'd you guys feel about this one? It's crazy. I really like, I really like this book. This book um, feels like, while the... Um, the Charles Soule book is a little bit more like fun action. This feels like it's getting deeper into the demonology and there's a little bit more like character, like dealing with some emotion, generational emotional shifting and all that. Um, so this has a, a lot more wildness going on, a lot more demons fighting demons. Uh, but I think that's um, there's room for both of these uh, books in the world. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot goes down in this. Uh, Mazeballs art, just a great story, impressive action, cool ending. Love the evil dude getting punched in the fucking face and he's got his nose fucked up. Uh, Great fucking times. And last but not least, Gargoyles, number two from Dynamite, written by Greg Weissman, art by George Cambadius. The first issue was very much a catch-up on everything that you forgot about Gargoyles in the past couple of decades. Here we're finally getting to the story and catching up with some new stuff. Given that, I think we were interested by the first issue. How do you feel that the second issue that really kicks things off was? I love Gargoyles. I've rewatched the Gargoyles cartoon recently on Disney Plus. Uh, so that that is how you say it. The uh, this book is it, Greg Weissman, I think, is the one of the creators or the, the creator of the Gargoyles. Uh, so it's this book is deep in continuity, featuring characters from all across the different seasons of Gargoyles that are still together um, hanging out and all the different allegiances villains and heroes all sort of changing sides at different times, forming alliances. That is all at play in here. So if you know about that and are interested in that, this book pays off as opposed to the Darkwing Duck book, which feels like easy access, new reader friendly. This is very much if you're a Gargoyles fan, pick this up. It's like seeing the series extended. Yeah, it's a great continuation of the cartoon, I feel like. And uh, yeah, if you love Gargoyles, you will love this. Feels like it's ripped. uh, The style is ripped right from the cartoon. It's a very cool story. Very enjoyable. It just feels like another app. And if you would like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. You basic. <laughs> 